Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. So grateful uh, to be together as we worship our great God. So thankful for uh, just the many blessings that he has given us and the privilege that we have uh, to come together and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, we are going to launch into a new sermon series uh, that we'll be walking through for the next few weeks. I'm not sure exactly how many, but we're going to be going in the wild. And I don't know if you uh, have ever thought uh, maybe before you went outside at some point, has anybody ever maybe you've been around your house or you've been uh, somewhere out in the woods and you've come across something that has taken you a bit by surprise and you found yourself frightened in the midst of those moments. Anybody ever done that? You've come across a snake, you've come across something that you were not expecting. Uh, we experience some of those kind of things along the way. I can remember when Hope was just a small little girl. She um, was outside and she was playing outside. We were hanging out together and we had gotten to the bottom of some steps that come down below our house, and there's some rocks that kind of come all around there, and we had put in a, a drainage pipe that had come out at the bottom of that area, and as she was hanging out out there, she was probably about this tall, and the pipe was about that high, and I was a little, excuse me, a little bit uh, back from her, and I looked over, and I saw something kind of in the end of that pipe, and it, it was kind of brown, and I thought, I wonder uh, how dirt is not washing on out through that pipe. That's what I was thinking in my mind, and as I kind of started moving a little bit closer, all of a sudden, I saw this snake. It was this copperhead snake, and it was coiled up in the bottom of that pipe, and its little head was looking at her. And you want to talk about being frightened in that moment. Now, I was frightened, but she had no idea what was going on. She didn't know anything was there that was even in danger. And, and I want you to know, I know some of you are got brave. I've seen some of y'all pick up snakes, even like copperheads. Those of you that do that are crazy, right? I'm just, I just want to say that from the beginning. I mean, and you know who you are, right? I'm looking at some of y'all. Um, I don't mess with a snake, right? I just don't, right? And especially one that has that kind of potential, that kind of uh, ability to destroy. And I recognized in that moment that I had to get her out of there quickly. And so I did. And then, like all smart people, I got serious with that snake from a distance and emptied like a full uh, cartridge of nine millimeter bullets into <laughs> that corrugated pipe because I wasn't going to get close enough to have any danger. And you know, I'm sorry for those of you that pick them up and transplant them and all that. I just, it's just not me. And so I, I was, you know, and then I was kind of slow getting in there. I was like making sure it became like corrugated, perforated pot quickly, right? So it was, it was good, but I'm not messing with a snake, right? And sometimes I can remember when I first was trying to do some deer hunting, I've never been really great at that, but I was trying to do some deer hunting and I, I went on some property that was off Ned Hill out in Cowie, and I had gone in there. I knew where the stand was, and I went in there in the dark that morning. And I can remember, like, you're supposed to use, like, I was getting all these tips, like, you know, about how you're not, you know, you don't want to be too light. You want to be quiet. You want to do all these things. And so I'm, I'm it sounds like a herd of elephants, me coming in there probably, really, all in all reality. And so I'm, I'm trying to get in there quietly, and I finally get myself in there, and I get turned around, and I have no idea where I'm at. And for those of you that have ridden with me, like in a vehicle, you can understand how that can happen because the Lord just did not give me great directional sense. And, it, and it's kind of funny how that works sometimes. But 
But the reality is when you're out in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden you don't know where you're at, it can be pretty alarming because you know there's dangers, you know there's things, you're like, how am I going to get where I need to get? And they would tell us that if you're lost in the woods, that if you're out in the wild and you become alarmed or you need help or you need to figure out what's going on, that one of the very best things you can do is to find north. And so we're going to look at some things in the wild over these next few weeks. There's some truths when you're lost in the woods that you can kind of go to, right? You know that uh, the sun rises in the east. You know that the north star is in the north, right? So if you learn some of those things, I've even read about how you can drive like a 12-inch stake in the ground, and if there's uh, sun that's shining, you can look and put a pebble where the end of that uh, shadow is at one point, and then wait like 20 minutes and put another pebble where that shadow is then, and supposedly it'll give you a uh, east to west line, and there's all kind of things. I'm sure there's people that know all kind of ways to do that. I've even heard that you can take a needle, like if you've got a needle and you can make your own compass. For those of you that are blessed with hair, you can like rub it in your hair even, and somehow it'll turn like into a magnet. You put it on a leaf, let it in a puddle. Maybe it'll turn toward the north if you rub an end uh, there, all those kind of things. But the reality is that it helps us if we know the area that we're in. It helps us if we've looked at a map. It helps us if we've had some guidance in some of those things because we can even know where north is. If we ignore that or we have no idea what is around us, and so we're going to launch into this series called In the Wild, and we're going to be looking at some of the crazy things that are happening in this world that's around us and at the, the, the wild that we find ourselves in. And the reality is that there are lots of dangers and the unknowns and the lies of the enemy, they get bigger and bigger every week. How many of you would agree that this world that we live in, the wilderness that we find ourselves in, that it gets darker and darker and darker? You look around and you see those kind of things. And there's a snake in the midst of this world. The scripture says that he roams about as we walk through First Peter, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That the thief, as Jesus said in John 10, comes not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The reality is Satan is roaming around looking for those that he could devour. And he's always trying to put something in our lives. And he's trying to get us to believe the lie that what he has for us is better than what God has for us. And there are lies that are coming. There's a, a war, just this raging war of ideas, a raging war of all these things. And we live in a world where how do we find north? We've got to figure out what truth is. And we live in a world that so many times is discounting the truth. We live in a world where it says, you know what, our feelings override the truth. That we uh, whatever you believe is okay. You believe that. It can be true for you if you believe it, that our belief in some situation or something makes it true. The Scripture would tell us that, uh, that, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? That, that there's a way that seems right to a man, that the end thereof is death. And so as we walk in this place, we want to remember the lies of the enemy, that we look back to the Garden of Eden and, and we see his lies, that Satan is always trying to replace God's best, God's plan that is revealed through his word. And, and I'm going to share with you today that I believe that is that way that we find north in the midst of this crazy world, in the wild that we live in, the way that we find north is in the word of God, that it is in his infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. And we... Uh, come under the authority of God's word. So I'm going to tell you that, but 
I've asked people all week, and it's been interesting, the answers. And I'm going to ask you today, why is it that we would come under the authority of God's Word? You know, last week we talked about, you know, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? And we leaned into the Word of God. And the question has to be asked, can I trust this book? Can I trust His Word? And maybe that question, why is it that I do trust His Word? Some people would say, well, you know, I was raised to believe it. I was raised, my parents taught me about the Scripture. And someone might look and say, well, what if you had been raised by a Muslim family? Would you, wouldn't you just believe what they had taught you? Why is it that you believe this book over the Book of Mormon or over the Quran, why is it that you would believe the truth of, of what you say is in this book? How, what makes it different than any other book? Sean McDowell said that our beliefs don't create reality, but that our beliefs should reflect reality. And so we're going to lean into this question. Can we trust the Bible? Is the Bible trustworthy? Because as we walk through this summer in the wild, we're going to be measuring up these things against the Word of God. And we're going to use it as our roadmap, as our north in the midst of this crazy world. And I want to encourage you that we, I asked Pastor Ronnie this morning, and I've asked others this week, and I said, why do you believe the Bible? And, and there's been these words that come out that said, yes, I, well, I have faith that it's the Word of God. And, and I've, I've been, uh, you know, I, I believe that. And there's been many different reasons for that. But I want you to know that you don't have to have blind faith to trust the words of Scripture. And I pray that as we look today in God's Word, that we will be encouraged as followers of Jesus Christ that we can stand and boldly proclaim the truth of His Word, that in the midst of a crazy world where everything seems to be spinning uh, out of control and where there's all these issues, that, that there's relevance in God's Word today to the issues that we face in our culture, the issues that we face in our homes. So in Second Peter chapter number 1, we we see in the early part of this chapter, and we're going to go quickly uh, this morning, but as, as we look in the early part of this chapter, we're going to see uh, Peter is telling them, he says, listen, God has given you everything that you need. He said he's given you everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called you according to his own glory and power. He says he's given you uh, all that you need. And Peter says, I know that my time with you is limited, that my departure is coming soon. And he wants them to lean in and know the truth and the things that they uh, have been taught by him. He wants to leave this final reminder with them. And we're going to pick up in verse 16 this morning. And he says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, in this time, just like today, there must have been people that were saying, you know what, the things that you're teaching, the things that you're declaring about the coming of our Lord, about the second coming, particularly in the book of Second Peter, the things that you're sharing there, those things are missed. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave, they were, they were saying, hey, these things that you're teaching, these things that you're saying, these are myths, right? Sigmund Freud said that, that Christianity was a fairy tale, and there are people that would uh, embrace that. There are people that will encounter our students that would uh, try to cause them to doubt the truth of 
their faith. And, and Peter says, hey, I want you to understand something. We didn't make this up. We, uh, these are not cleverly devised things that we have thought up. Uh, this is not how that happened. We saw it with our own eyes. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, I've seen with my own eyes these things. We see the eyewitness testimony uh, of Peter in this passage. He says, we saw his glory, right? We saw him do amazing things. We saw all these things, these times that Jesus healed, we saw all these things, but there was this one day when me and, and some of the other disciples that we went up on this mountain, and, and while uh, Jesus was here, that, that his glory was veiled, but there was this one day that upon that mountain, man, his glory was unveiled, and we saw his majesty and his glory, and man, the people that we study about, Elijah and Moses, those people, they showed up in that moment. He said, there was this day when we went up on that holy mountain together. I saw it with my own eyes. And he said in verse 17, he said, we received glory from the Father, honoring glory from the Father. Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well Placed. He's speaking of the mountain of transfiguration, and he's speaking of his glory being unveiled uh, of this time that was just incredible. And he says, listen, we saw it with our own eyes. In verse 18, he said, not only did we see it with our own eyes, but we heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He said, we heard it uh, with our ears. We saw it with our eyes. And then he says, but there's something even greater than that. Look at verse 19. He said, there's something even greater than that. He said, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. So he says, we have eyewitness testimony. We saw it with our own eyes. But then Peter says something. There's something even more powerful than that. There's something even more trustworthy than that. There's something even greater than that. We have the scriptures. We have these prophetic words that have been made more sure. He says, we have this prophecy. And by the way, about a fourth of the Bible uh, was prophecy when it was written. About a fourth of the Bible was looking to something that was to come as God revealed uh, his, uh, that, that he stands outside of time, that he is all-knowing, that he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent, that he is all-powerful, right? That we know these things. And Peter says, pay attention. Now, Peter, by the way, is writing scripture here, and he says, pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place. In the wild, right, we experience this darkness, and we, we carry flashlights. We carry all these things in order to illuminate, and we can only see but so far, right? We shine it out, and we walk that far, and the Word of God is like that. Every day as we open up the Word of God, and the Spirit of God reveals to us truth from the Word of God, it equips us for that day, and we walk in the blessings and the illumination of His Word, and we continue to do that. We, it's not just something that, hey, we opened up the Bible, and we read it once. fact is... Uh, before we gathered here, there were people that sat in small groups and they opened up the Word of God and they expounded on scriptures that they've looked at maybe many times and the depths and the riches of God's Word is incredible. And this light that we have, it's always pointing to Jesus. We have this scripture and this light is pointing to Jesus and he says we trust him now and, and we trust him pointing to that day when Jesus will Return. See, this prophetic word, we, we think about this, this day, right? And I think about it as this day of the Lord. And, and obviously, this prophetic word will not be needed when that day comes. Now, right, this word will stand forever. But this day, I believe it refers to this day of the Lord. As we read in here in the Old Testament, this day of the Lord was a day of judgment, right, for those uh, that uh, had 
oppose God uh, where they will be punished, but a day of salvation, a day of deliverance for those who love him. And he refers to this. He says, listen, there's, we hold this and we look toward that day where Jesus will return. We look toward that day. In verse 20, he says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, this book claims, it is self-claiming that it is the Word of God, that it was men that were moved by the Holy Spirit. There's language here of like a large sailboat, and, and as the, the wind that would fill that sail and propel it forward, it is that picture of this, this wind and this Spirit of God that, that these men were moved by the Spirit of God, that this, this book was, was penned by human writers from God through and moved by His Spirit. We can trust the Scriptures. Peter says that we uh, were there. We saw these things. We have eyewitness testimony. But there's something beautiful. I think the, uh, I've seen this in so many different uh, apologetic type things. I think Vody Bochum did a great job. Uh, at one point, I heard a, uh, a lesson in our D group that we'd used a clip from him, and he was talking about how this eyewitness testimony, not only was it eyewitness testimony, but it was eyewitness testimony that was written and that was given in the time of other eyewitnesses. That's so important when you think about the words that we have in the Scripture. This eyewitness testimony, it was verifiable and it was falsifiable by other eyewitnesses. So it's one thing if I say, hey, me, Stan, uh, Richard, uh, we all went on a, on a trip, and we did all these kind of things, and this is what we saw, and these guys are still here, and they're like, what are you kidding me? None of that happened. This is the kind of thing. This was written in the time of other eyewitnesses. This was written in a time when Paul wrote uh, of, of the evidence of the resurrection, and, and when he talked of those things, and the witnesses that had seen these those witnesses, some of them were still alive. We see those kind of things in this book. It was written by eyewitnesses in the time of other eyewitnesses. It was falsifiable, right? Kevin DeYoung wrote a book uh, called Taking God at His Word, and he said if you want to prove your point in the court of law, right? Some of you watch like all these um, like, you know, trial movies and all those kind of things, and we see evidence and what kind of evidence stands and the things that are there. He said if you want to prove a point in a court of law, you need eyewitness testimony and trustworthy sources. And what we find in the Scripture is eyewitness testimony, and we find trustworthy sources. We shared earlier that the Bible itself is, is, claims divine authorship, right? That, that it claims to be the Word of God. Thousands of times in the Scripture we see, thus saith the Lord. Right? We see it claim to be the divine Word of God. And here's the truth. Either it's true or it's a book of lies and we need to close the doors and go home because that's the reality. Either God's word is true or it is a book of lies and we are wasting our time and money and effort and energy and all the things that we are doing. But I want you to know that we believe with everything that we have in the word of God, in the truth of the word of God, in the authority of the word of God and just its authorship, just its com composition, right? The way that it came together is miraculous in itself. The way that it pulls together, the, the tests are impeccable. Look at this. The Bible was written 
over a period of 1,500 years. When we read uh, this book, it is not, uh, it, it is one author and a divine author, but there are many authors, right? There are, are 40 different authors. Among them, there's kings, military leaders, peasants, uh, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, musicians. The list could go on. There are people from all different walks of life, people in different moods, as we saw last week in Ecclesiastes, right? A Monday morning going, man, meaningless, vanity, vanity, it's all there. And, and the people, the authors, they reveal uh, in, the, in themselves the, the struggles that they had. That's one of the ways that, that people look and say, you know what, you can see this is true because these people, their character, they valued the truth of this so much that people like Peter would confess his denial, that, that, that people would confess their struggles, that we would see the struggles of the men in the Scripture. It was written in many different places, different times, written on three continents, right? This was written in Asia, Africa, and in Europe. All of these uh, letters and these, these books that were written in different places, in different languages, three different languages, Hebrew, uh, Greek, and Aramaic, three different languages, and these things all come together. And it's written with all these styles, with all these different uh, pieces together. It addresses it addresses hundreds of difficult issues. We're going to look at some difficult issues as we walk through some of this. But it, it, as we think about the difficult issues that the Scripture addresses, we see all these different authors, all these different times, and we see this, this cohesive truth about all these difficult issues without a single contradiction, right? Can you imagine uh, just getting people together, maybe getting 40 medical doctors together today and to talk about, hey, the best next steps in dealing with, uh, with COVID or the best next steps in doing this? You know, years back, right, you could see maybe 200 years ago, one cure for disease was, was bloodletting, and now one cure for disease is blood transfusions, right? There's inconsistency throughout that, but over 1,500 years, we see that the Bible is remarkably consistent, that it is the truth of God. It is this coherent book, and it has this coherent theme, right, of a coming Messiah. It is this wonderful, incredible treasure that we have filled with great diversity, but yet in the midst of that, there's a, an, a single, continuous, unfolding story, and it does so without ever contradicting itself. Its main character is God himself revealed to us and made known through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about the authenticity of these books, right? And as we look at those places, these original documents of the New Testament, if we just look at the New Testament alone, these were written in the first century. We, these, these were written 30 to 60 years from the time that these events uh, first happened. When we think about that in just comparison to other literature, right? The writings of Buddha, they would have, they would have been written 500 years after Buddha died. Homer's Odyssey, uh, hundreds of years after Homer died. They're trusted documents. Lee Strobel in The Case for Christ said that the earliest biographies of Alexander the Great were written more than 400 years after Alexander's death, yet historians consider those to be trustworthy. In the Gospels, they were written 30 to 60 years after the life of Jesus. We see the beauty of this, the, the, their accuracy, right? We see uh, eyewitnesses that were, uh, these things were written in the presence and times of other eyewitnesses in parts of the New Testament. Right? We have manuscripts of the New Testaments. We have uh, complete manuscripts. We also have fragments of those manuscripts, and there's like near 6,000 of those complete uh, and fragmented manuscripts, more than any other ancient work, over uh, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, over uh, like 9,300, and I've even read uh, now more than 10,000 manuscripts in other languages, right, in, in these uh, Coptic, Ethiopian, uh, 
Syriac, Slavic, Gothic, Ethiopic, uh, Coptic, and Armenian uh, writings. We have more than 10,000 manuscripts in those places. And what we see is while we don't have those original, the autographs, we don't, the, the, uh, those documents have decayed. While we don't have those, we have thousands of comparables. And what's beautiful about that is we have those that can, can be compared to one another. Now, you're going to find people that are going to say, hey, you know what? There are discrepancies in those manuscripts. And because of that, you can't trust the Word of God. You're going to have people that are going to say, hey, uh, one, one person, Bart Ehrman, who is uh, part of the Department of Religion at Chapel Hill. Now, it's interesting. He is a self-proclaimed uh, agnostic. He makes uh, statements. He wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, and he says that the Bible is full of mistakes and errors, and he uh, points that to this fact that they were copied down, that they would be copied letter for letter and word for word, and that there were mistakes and errors in some of those manuscripts as you compare those two one another. And they try to make that uh, in some way that says, you know what, you, you can't trust the Word of God. But what we know is that in those things, that, that, that there are differences. There are some of those things, but they are clearly accurate when they are compared to one another. Most of those differences are in uh, grammar or in syntax. Most of those things are minor uh, areas, and they do not call into question the accuracy of the Scripture. And they're easy to track. They're easy to study. They're easy to see what they are. And the truth is, is more and more manuscripts are discovered. More and more copies are discovered, and they are discovered every year. They're the reduction in those variances continue to grow. Uh, 20 years ago, they would say that maybe 20 per, or 2% uh, of the Bible that you could find some of those differences in uh, manuscripts that had been found. Uh, 10 years ago, that had gone down to like 1%. Uh, and, and in those, we know that most of those uh, issues, again, are grammatical or syntax. And when it comes to verses, you can find those. That, that if you can look in your Bibles and you'll see a footnote, it's not that anybody's trying to hide it. There, you'll find John chapter 8 where uh, there's some discrepancy in some of the earliest manuscripts, the story of the woman that was uh, caught in the act of, the, of adultery, you'll find that that story is missing from some of the early manuscripts. You'll find uh, the last part of the book of Mark, the last chapter, last part of the chapter of the last chapter of the book of Mark. Uh, you'll find discrepancy in those things. But outside of those, that's where the bulk of those things are. And what you find is that there's nothing uh, significant in those places that call into question the accuracy of the word of God. Some people would say, well, there's so many translations now. And because of those translations, you can't trust it because it's been changed so many times, right? And, and, it, and it's not that these translations that they've come from, it's not like they just started with the last one and said, hey, we'll come up with something new. But what we find, you ever play the game of phone, like somebody gives Randy a message and then Randy gives it to Clark, Clark gives it to James, James gives it to Richard. We, we see that kind of passing uh, down through there. Richard gives it to Graham. And we see by the time it gets around the church that there's a different message. Message. And that's what they want you to think. And that's what people will say. They say, hey, you can't believe that's true because, you know, it's been passed down. It's been revised so many times. You know, it's changed. There's been so many things that were there, but that's not how it works. See, these translators are going back to those original uh, manuscripts that they have, to those uh, early documents, and they're, they're taking those and translating. So instead of it going from Randy to here to here to here, it's from me to Randy and then me to Clark and me to James and me. And so we see this authenticity and this accuracy in the way that the translators 
translators are working in that. Part of my Greek class, we can actually see some of those documents and photos of those, and we would have to take those, and our task was to take those original documents in Greek and to say, okay, now we're, our job is to uh, be a consultant to the translators and tell them how we would have changed it. And I want you to know you're sitting there trying to figure out something that you could suggest to them, and you really can't find hardly anything. I mean, anything that you find is insignificant, and maybe uh, just some slight wording or something that you might say sounds better to you or this, that, but, but ultimately, unless you're trying to do that, it, you look at it and you're able to see just the integrity of the translation, right? Some people would say, hey, you can't trust it because science is revealing so much, but what we find is that while this is not intended to be a science textbook, that when it intends to reveal science, the science that's revealed is incredible. It's amazing. And, you know, someone back in the day said the earth was flat, but the Bible taught in Isaiah 40, 22, that it was a sphere. Science tried to teach and used to teach that there were 1,100 stars in the sky. They'd say, you know what? We've numbered them. We, we know exactly how many stars that were in the sky, but the scriptures would tell us that they are innumerable, right? In Jeremiah 33, uh, there were people that, that first would say, hey, this is the hydrological cycle. This is the way uh, that water works. And I think that was maybe in 30 BC, but 500 years before that in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 55, verse 10, the Bible referenced it. Solomon described it hundreds of years prior to, the, prior to that in Ecclesiastes chapter number one. We see so many places that we think about the transforming of our mind and the way our minds work. Science used to say, you know what, your mind can't change, but now science is proving that, that those neuropathways can be redetermined, that, that our minds truly can be renewed. And, and Peter, as he declared in this, he said, look at the prophecy. And he said, we have seen with our own eyes, but the prophecy that was written uh, long before us has spoken and revealed these things to be true. And I want to share just a little bit of the prophecy. We, I think it was Josh McDowell that I first heard share uh, at a youth event just about an address that uh, we had. And right here, you find yourself today at 6301 Bryson City Road in Franklin, North Carolina, in the United States of America. And if you were to go on to Google Earth, you could type in any of those things. You could type in the United States, and all of a sudden, it would zoom in on a smaller area. You could go down to North Carolina and go down to Franklin, and you could go down uh, to Cowie Community, and every time you would see that pinpoint, and the Bible uh, has given us the address uh, long before uh, the coming of the Messiah, he gave the address in the pinpointed places that, that the coming of Christ as Messiah would take place. And it was painted throughout the scriptures. In Genesis 3.15, we see before, uh, before time even is recorded, immediately after the fall, he said, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Christ would be the seed of the woman. Others, we see the seed of a man. But here, we see only the seed of a woman pointing to his virgin birth and also how he would uh, bruise and crush Satan. Right? We see the Old Testament prophesy that he would be born of the seed of Abraham. Genesis 12, uh, Genesis number uh, chapter number 22, uh, that he would come from the tribe of Judah in Genesis chapter uh, number 49. And when that address was given, it was kind of like going from uh, the world to the United States or going uh, to Franklin. All of a sudden, it pinpointed in closer on the address, eliminating 11 of the 12 tribes. Said that he would come uh, from the lineage of David, from the family uh, of Jesse, 2 Samuel.
Samuel chapter number seven, verse two. Micah 5, 2 said that he would be born in Bethlehem and of all those cities of the world. Too little to be among the clans of Judah, it would say, from, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Isaiah chapter seven would tell us that he would be born of a virgin, that he would uh, open the eyes of the blind in Isaiah 35, that he would uh, unstop the ears of the deaf and cause the lame to walk, that he'd be rejected by his own people, Psalm 118, 22. The scriptures foretold the precise time in history uh, in which he would die. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 26. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12 uh, spoke of how he would be crucified. And this method of crucifixion, understanding, was not put in place by the Romans until 800 years after those words were written. His prediction that he would rise from the dead uh, was made in Psalm 16, 10. And these are just a few of those things that were prophesied in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in one person. And statistically speaking, I believe it was Lee Strobel that did this. He said that if you take just the eight of these prophecies, the probability of this being fulfilled in one individual is one in every 10 to the 17th power. And he gave this illustration. He said, if you were to take uh, the state of Texas, the entire state of Texas, and you were to cover it uh, in silver dollars, two foot deep, and you were to take one of those silver dollars, mark it in red, put it down in the bottom, mix it up, blindfold someone, tell them to walk around, reach down in at a random time and pick up one silver dollar, and it would be the one. That's the probability of only eight of the prophecies being fulfilled in one person. And I want you to understand that there are more than 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. The scriptures pinpointed who the Savior would be. And God said this, he said, I am sending my son, and this is the address. And by the way, the finding uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the scrolls at Qumran, when they found those scrolls, it confirmed without a doubt. See, because people used to say, well, those writings, they just knew all those things, and those writings were changed to do that. It proved without a doubt that these writings were long before Christ's birth, that it predated the birth of Christ. But all of us in this room, if you've been saved by the grace of God, we, and maybe the greatest evidence to me is that I've experienced the power and the life-changing power of the Word of God and how it changes us from the inside out and how it transforms us. No library could hold the volumes of men and women and the stories of those people that have been changed by the grace of God, that have been changed and transformed through His Word. You know, Spurgeon wrote this, and I love this uh, statement. He said that the Word of God is like a lion. And, you know, we think about how in the world do we defend the Word of God. He said this. He said, you don't have to defend a lion. A lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. And our job as followers of Jesus Christ who have experienced His grace and been transformed by His Word and transformed through the power of His Spirit as God speaks to us through His Word, as He reveals Himself through His Word is our job is to proclaim the good news of his word. And what we see is lives changed. We see lives transformed by the gospel. I shared a few weeks ago that we have seen a, a jail ministry birth out of um, the church and begin to engage. And we had the blessing this week of meeting uh, with uh, the, the folks that were uh, over the jail with, with Lieutenant Jones there. And as we were talking to him, it was interesting that we've been ministering in the jail for five weeks. There's been folks that have been going uh, in and serving uh, these men. And he shared something that was interesting. He said, you know what? He said, you can see a difference in the jail. He said, we went from five fights a week to now one fight in five weeks. He said, there's something changing and there's power in the word of God as it is proclaimed. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword that it works in a way in our life that we cannot 
imagine. And the truth is the Holy Spirit opens hearts and it convinces us it's true. The evidence that we have, we've seen the Word of God change our lives, but the Spirit of God opens our hearts and, and allows us to believe and convinces us that it is true. And so we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we engage in the midst of the wild, we find north. We hold the Word of God and we say, you know what? I understand its relevance, its truth for the times that we're in. It is not a book of antiquity that has no relevance, but it has meaning and truth and speaks clearly into the issues of day, that it is the timeless truth of God's Word. And we'd benefit in praying with David in Psalm 119, where he said, open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your law. But we may ask Jesus to open our minds that we might understand the Scriptures. Because here's the deal. We are in a place where there's a temptation and there's something common that's happening that the Scriptures are being twisted and molded to fit the desire of man rather than being submitted to as the authority of his word. And we come and we submit to the authority of his word. We say whatever we feel, whatever we see, whatever is around in our culture, that we're going to submit to what God's word says in those things. Because there's this danger that the scripture might be fit and molded to fit the desire of man rather than being submitted. Second Timothy chapter 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They are all over this world. You can find false teachers and people that will twist Scripture in order to please men, that will in order to justify sin, that will be used in order to do all those things. But you will find a remnant of people that will say, you know what, I believe the Word of God to be true. And I submit, we come and submit to the authority of His Word. God has given us a book. He's given us a, a, a book his word that is to be written, that is to be studied, that is to be repeated, and that changes our lives. Zwingli, who died, he was pierced with a spear and died with, with, a, with a hope and, the, and, the, and to see the, the word of God continue to be translated, to continue to go to men. He said this about the Bible. He said, God's word is like a mighty, unstoppable river. It is his effective power to create, save, and change the world. Zwingli was one of many, a long line of many that have died so that you and I might have this word. And we should never take it for granted. We should spend time in it. We should love it. We should obey it. Because the truth is, this world is crazy. But as Peter said, it's like a lamp shining in a dark place, and it's shining on Jesus. And may we declare, as the psalmist, his word is a light, is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. And May we hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him. See, the single message of the Bible is that God loves you, that he sent his son to die in your place, that he would take away our sin, that we could be reconciled to him, that we could know him, that we could desire to spend time with him, that he could reveal himself to us. And we can trust him today. There is power in his word. I want to invite the band to come. We're going to close just our, our service time together today, just in worship to our great God. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've, I've been a skeptic. I've, I've wondered, you know, if, if all the things that we hear, if those things are true, if, if we can stand. Maybe I've been afraid to share uh, in the midst of just the secular world that we're in, being afraid of people questioning the truth of what I'm sharing. I mean, maybe the, the question of why we believe what we believe. And we have a responsibility, right, that we might 
always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And we, uh, in, in the culture that we live in, we need to be able to give reason. And, and, it, and, and again, we, uh, the Bible, if we'll let it loose, it'll do the work on its own. But we are as followers of Jesus Christ and the truths of his word. And we need to know and believe and stand and have a reason that we believe in the truth of the gospel. And we find north in his word and we stand and under its authority. Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you, Lord, for the truth, Lord, that is revealed in it. Lord, how you've uh, allowed uh, empirical evidence, Lord, how you've allowed, uh, God, prophecy to, to be uh, fulfilled, Lord, how you've allowed history, Lord, books that are outside of the Bible, Lord, to support and, and to document, Lord, how you've, how you've preserved so many copies of your word and how those, Lord, line up with incredible accuracy, Father. I pray, God, that you would... God, take your word, God, and that you would accomplish what you sent it forth to do, God, that you would convict hearts, that you would uh, give us new fire, God, that we might dig into your word, God, that we might uh, submit to its authority, Lord, and that we might live and be changed, God, because it's living and active, Lord, and we pray, Father, that you might allow us to proclaim the good news of who you are, God, that we might declare the truth of your word, Lord. If there's someone that doesn't know you, Lord, we pray uh, that this morning, God, that they would trust you for salvation, Lord, that you would uh, draw them in the power of your spirit, God, that you would uh, convict their hearts, Lord, of their need for a Savior, Lord, that there's nothing uh, that they could do, Lord, that they could make them right with a holy God, Lord, but as your word has declared, Lord, that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. God, that there's none of us righteous, not even one. Lord, but you demonstrated your love toward us, God. You've given it to us. You've revealed it to us in your word. God, you demonstrated it to us on the cross of Christ, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us in our place, Lord. And if we would just believe in you, Lord, if we would turn from our sin and surrender, Lord, to your call, God, that we could be saved, that we could pass from death to life, that we could be transformed, God, that we could be changed, Lord, from the inside out, Lord. We are not ashamed of your gospel. Lord, for it is the power of God and the salvation. Lord, if someone doesn't know you, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that they would call on your name. Lord, and that they might be saved, changed by your grace and your goodness, not because of anything they've done, but because of the work of the cross, Lord, and your finished work. Father, we love you. We ask for your blessing, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand in worship.